The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit through the wilderness, being tempted there by the devil for 40 days. During that time, he ate nothing, and at the end, he was hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. But Jesus replied, Scripture says, Man does not live on bread alone. Then leading him up to a height, the devil showed him in a moment of time all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you this power and the glory of these kingdoms, for it, is, it has been committed to me, and I give it to anyone I choose. Worship me, then, and it all shall be yours. But Jesus answered him, Scripture says, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Then he led him to Jerusalem and made him stand on the parapet of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For Scripture says, he will put his angels in charge of you to guard you. And again, they will hold you up on their hands in case you hurt your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered him, it has been said, you must not put the Lord your God to the test. Having exhausted all these ways of tempting him, the devil left him to return at the appointed time. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise Jesus. On this first Sunday of our Lenten season, the church puts an ancient story in our minds. It is a story of tremendous value. What is this story? We heard it in our first reading. In short, We were slaves. That's where this story begins. We were slaves, and we were enslaved because we are strong. And our strength made us hateful in the sight of our oppressors. We cried out to the God that we've learned about, who created the universe out of nothing. And that God heard us. That God had compassion on us. He sent a people to help us. Moses and Aaron, and he himself rushed to our defense, rushed to our aid. By his own mighty hand, we hear, he caught hold of us and raised us up from our captivity and our bondage, from a meaningless toil of building someone else's kingdom, a kingdom we would never enjoy the fruits of. God freed his people from a meaningless existence on earth. He made them instead into a heavenly family. Do you understand this story? In essence, it's quite a simple story. Children, if you've ever seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, it depicts it very, very well. It's one of my favorite movies, actually. So good, this is the story the church puts in our minds. Why? What does this ancient Israelite story have to do with us today in Gladstone in 2022? It is an ancient practice of the Christian to enter into the scriptures with their imagination, to place themselves within the text itself as 
one and even as all of the characters. When I read that story of the exodus of the Hebrews from Egypt, I am Moses. I am Aaron, a prophetic voice for Moses. I am the Hebrew slave who's heavily under oppression. I am the taskmasters oppressing the slave. I am the magicians who try and imitate the miracles of God by ulterior means, not with grace, but with trickery. And I'm Pharaoh himself, the stubborn tyrant. It is not a question of who you and I are. The fact is we are all of those characters, except one of them. We'll get to that in a moment. But the question is, how will I respond to God as liberator, as prophetic voice, as captive slave, as disciplinarian, as stubborn tyrant? How will I respond to God from that position? Insofar as I brave this question, insofar as I take it, receive it, try and respond to it, I realize something crucially important. There is one character in the story who I am not, and that's God. I am not the source of grace in the story. I'm not. I'm one of the other characters. If I fail to answer this question, then naturally I assume the place of God in some fashion. And this is very, very dangerous. What does this ancient Israelite story have to do with us today? It has everything to do with us. When I am sent to liberate the oppressed around me, and I don't. When I'm sent to speak a word of truth or love or peace when no one else will. This story means an awful lot when I find myself weighed down by the many pressures that we've come to know in this world, whether they be financial or social or tension uh, with the things that I interact with, uh, with the online world, with my spouse, my parents, my children, whatever. When I start to feel like little more than a cog in this strange machine that we call the worldly kingdom, with all its vanity and corruption and lies, a kingdom in which I will only ever be a slave unless I become a tyrant. This story of ancient Israel has a lot to do with our daily temptations, small and great, with the testing that Christ undergoes in the desert. On only this time, if we read this story again, Christ in the desert, I can in fact be that central character. I can stand in the place of Christ. And not only can I, but I must. You see, the story operates in a slightly different way. I'm allowed to take the place of privilege. Jesus invites you and me to brave our deserts as that central figure. I would go so far as to say the success of my Lent stands or falls depending on how closely I imitate Jesus in the desert. I'll say that again because it's a big claim. The success of my Lenten journey stands or falls depending on how closely I imitate my Lord in the desert in this story here. If I fail to imitate him, then my Lent becomes another Egypt, another place of slavery, 
meaningless drudgery. Friends, as you think on all of this, put your finger on your own pulse. Measure your own reactions. How does it make you feel? Does it seem intimidating? Maybe. Does it seem impossible? We might think, how could I imitate Jesus in the desert? I'm not God. I'm just poor, pathetic me. If we think this, frankly, we've lost the battle. It's over. The enemy has won. Let's just pack up and go back to Egypt. We can be slaves for the rest of eternity. That's what this results in. Why be intimidated? Why feel like imitating Jesus here is impossible? Do we think perhaps that we're called to do it by our own strength? We're called to do it without him. This was never what we were called to do, not ever. This is the great deception, really. We were never called to be like God without God. God never said that to us. Someone else said that, if we think back to Genesis. Probably it is the sin of Adam and Eve's pride that's placed from the serpent's clever lie in us. Precisely the opposite is true. We were created, we say, imago Dei, in the image and likeness of him who said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We need not undertake any of this on our own. Hear again the words from the psalm, Be with me, Lord, when I'm in trouble. It says, if he clings to me in love. Hear again St. Paul quoting scripture to the church in Rome. The word is near you, it is in your mouth, it is in your heart. You can't get much closer to God than in your very flesh. You see, imitating Jesus in the desert fulfills the story of Exodus in each of our lives. Of course you can work to liberate the oppressed. The Spirit of God rests on you to do that very work. Of course you can speak a word of freedom and peace to the captive slave. That word is in your mouth as we speak. It's waiting to be unleashed. By the way, if we hear that gospel once more, Jesus says virtually nothing except quotations from the book of Deuteronomy. He doesn't say anything of his own accord. This isn't a battle of wits. Jesus is not trying to wrestle with the devil. No, Jesus battles with the weapon of obedience. He does only what he's told. And he does it not alone. But we hear in all of the Gospels, the Spirit went with him. He was not, in fact, alone in the desert, and nor are we. Defeating the devil means imitating Jesus. Imitating Jesus means keeping God's company and doing exactly what he says with him. Jesus imitates God in Egypt so that we might imitate Jesus in the desert now, today. In this way, and hear this because this is really the cosmic story meeting its fulfillment. In this way, we, you and I, us little Gladstonians, will bring every Egypt to ruin and will turn every desert into a garden again. 
Gardens are not places that are worked in vain. They're not just dead dust lands. No, gardens produce all kinds of fruit. So we now, who believe and shall not be put to shame as we heard from Paul, bring to the priest baskets full of our first fruits to be placed at the altar. And as our first reading closed, having set them before the Lord our God, we shall bow down in his presence.